Okay. If you have your Bible still handy, would you please turn with me to the main text for our sermon this morning, Matthew 26, verses 47 to 50. Matthew 26, verses 47 to 50. I've given you out some handouts there that'll save you looking up all the verses on your own. And a little passage there that you can uh, write some notes if you choose, or just uh, relax and follow along as we deliver this message. Matthew 26, verse 47 to 50. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves, from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And may God the Holy Spirit grant us the grace and the wisdom to understand the text before us this morning. I've chosen for my topic this morning Judas Iscariot, one of the Lord's twelve disciples, the one who betrayed our Savior. His act of betrayal was so heinous that it has been entrenched in the annals of history forever. That act was so awful and so horrendous that it has left a bad stench to the name of Judas. Mothers who care don't dare call their children this name today. And yet Judas was a biblical name. It meant praise of God. And so there were many who were named Judas in the Bible. In the New Testament alone, we find at least five different Judases. In Matthew 13.55, we see Judas, the brother of Jesus. In Matthew 10.3, there is Judas Lepius, or Thaddeus, the brother of James the Less. Then in Acts 5.37, we come upon Judas of Galilee. He was the one who stirred up sedition of the Jews in 6 AD. Also in Acts 9.11, we find yet another Judas, Judas of Damascus. And finally, there was Judas Barsabas in Acts 15.22, who later became a disciple, and who worked with Silas. And so there were many who were named Judas in the Bible. But the Judas with whom we are concerned this morning is Judas Iscariot, the one who sold our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. The name Judas probably became more popular and was used more frequently after Judas Maccabees became a national Jewish hero. 
He was the one responsible for bringing a certain measure of independence to the Jewish nation from the Romans, approximately 165 BC. And so in our study of Judas Iscariot, I would like to look, <clears throat> excuse me, at his beginning first. How did Judas start out? Judas was probably raised in a very positive, godly atmosphere at home, for we have no other reason to believe otherwise. His last name, Iscariot, <laughs> indicates that he very well may have come from the village called Kerioth in Judea, which was south of Jerusalem. Therefore, <laughs> Judas was different from the rest of the disciples in that they were all Galileans, but he was a Judean. And no doubt that Judas may have heard about Jesus beforehand, before he actually met him. He may have even traveled 60 to 70 miles to meet up with Jesus. And when he met up with Jesus, he was called and he accepted. And so Judas started his journey with the best of company. He walked with the Savior himself. He witnessed his miracles firsthand. He listened to his teachings. He experienced the Lord's tenderness and love. He associated himself with the other disciples, and he even enjoyed their confidence and trust in him. They actually made him their treasurer. So Judas had a good beginning. He experienced good company, and he had good confidence and a wonderful opportunity to make something out of his life. But something went wrong. What was it? The Bible does not so much suggest that Judas was always a traitor, but that he became a traitor. What was it that got a hold of him? Well, perhaps it might help us if we do a bit of an analogy of a caterpillar and a butterfly to illustrate our point. In the early stages, it is the fly that lays its eggs on the caterpillar so that they might hatch. But that poor caterpillar soon becomes a prey to grubs which tend to eat those eggs implanted upon him. And eventually they may destroy the caterpillar. It is these little grubs that continue to eat away at the helpless caterpillar. And that prevents the caterpillar from becoming what it was meant to be, a beautiful butterfly. And Judas was in some ways like that caterpillar. He had two little grubs eating away at him. The first one was the love of money. And the second one was worldly ambition, both of which affected his discipleship. Now, the Lord himself chose all 12 disciples. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him one day. For the Lord himself said in John 6, 70, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? 
yet he chose him. Why? Why would the Lord choose someone into the inner circle of discipleship when he knew that Judas would betray him? And yet the scriptures do not tell us the answer. And so we must leave it as so, as another example of God's sovereign will at work. But Judas, you'll notice, also chose to follow Jesus as well. And why was that? Again, the Bible does not answer that question for us either. And so further speculation would be of little profit. But rather, the important thing here is to notice that Judas followed the Lord just like all the other disciples. He too left all that he had. He knew that Jesus had no wealth. He knew that our Lord had no political power. And he also knew that our blessed Savior had no place even to lay his head. Judas was thoroughly aware of what Jesus taught, that self-denial was the way to self-fulfillment. He sat at the Lord's feet with the rest of the disciples. He heard his parables. He heard his sermon on the mount. He watched Jesus perform hundreds of miracles. good in Judas. He was not totally an evil man. How did Judas fall? How did someone with such a good beginning, with such excellent teaching and training and intensity, and with such trust, fall? It certainly wasn't overnight. Here we must remember that falling into sin or growing spiritually is always one step at a time. It is one cannot even notice it. I remember as well as you all do the story about the proverbial frog in the frying pan. If we were to put a frog into a pot with cool water, we're told, on the stove, and very gradually turn up the heat until the water boiled, we're told that the frog would boil to death because his system is not able to detect such gradual changes in temperature. Because it is so gradual, the frog's warning system is defunct. And so he would perish. Judas was in much a similar position. Maybe Judas borrowed money from the purse at first, always intending to return it. Then maybe he started to take a little bit without any thought of restitution. The Bible tells us in John twelve six that Judas was a thief. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Judas was tempted at his greatest weakness, his greed or covetousness. And the Lord taught very strongly against covetousness.
This was a very serious sin. In Colossians 3.5, we read that God equates covetousness with idolatry. If Judas had had a clean conscience, this teaching would have seemed like sound advice to him. But if Judas had a guilty conscience, then this surely would have been a serious and a stern rebuke to him by the Savior. And therein lies the problem. Those of us who have been in the Lord's service for any length of time know that a rebuke of sin affects the person guilty of that sin in one of two ways. One, either the person will hate the sin for which he or she has been rebuked and do something about it, or two, the person will hate the person who rebuked him for it. Maybe that was the problem with Judas. Maybe instead of hating his sin and repenting of it, he began to hate Jesus for rebuking him for it. And his heart began to rebel against the Lord, which brought about Judas's end. His end came about because of unconfessed sin. And what was Judas's unconfessed sin? It was betrayal. Betrayal of the Lord who loved him. Betrayal of the one who came to die for the sins of the world. Betrayal of the most gentle, the most gracious person who ever walked this earth. It was a most vile sin, but it was not a hopeless one. For Judas sinned against the one who came to forgive men in a way that no one else could forgive. He forgave the thief on the cross. He forgave those who nailed him to the cross. He forgave his other disciple, Peter, who denied him three times. If Judas had come to the Lord in true repentance, is there any doubt that our Lord would have forgiven even him? Judas knew the kindness which flowed from the Savior's heart. Judas knew the love of Jesus, which touched the people who came to him. Why, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus spoke to him in a most gracious tone, Friend, wherefore art thou come? But Judas wasn't interested at that point. However, the next day, after Christ had been tried, condemned, and scourged, Judas realized the heinous sin which he had committed. His conscience was stricken with panic. He came to those with whom he had made the bargain and confessed his sin to them. Matthew 27, 3-5 Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, 
What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. The scriptures say that he was condemned. Judas realized that he had sinned. He realized that he had sinned against the very Son of God himself. Judas felt great pain, great agony, great remorse, and great guilt over what he had done. His master had never done him any harm. Jesus had only kind words for him, and yet his betrayal of Jesus resulted in the most cruel and inhumane punishment imaginable at the hands of the hardened Roman soldiers. Little did Judas expect that his conscience would be so taxed that he would not be able to bear it. And I'm sure at this point that if Judas had it to do over again, he would not have betrayed the Lord a second time. But the damage was already done. He could not undo the consequences of that sin. Judas was so overcome with grief and despair that he went and took his own life. Such a tragic ending to a life that had such a promising beginning. But there was another disciple who also sinned very grievously against the Lord as well that same night. It was Peter. He denied his master three times that night, exactly the way the Lord had foretold in John 13. Peter, too, was overcome with the gravity of his sin, such that when he was convicted of it, he wept bitterly. Yet Peter's end was a very different end. Why? You see, Judas's repentance was earthward, not heavenward. Judas did not come to God on bended knee, acknowledging his sin before God. Judas did not turn to the mercy of God and his grace to forgive him. Instead, Judas went to sinful men to confess his sin, and he got no forgiveness. He did not even get understanding, but rather ridicule and scoffing from the very ones who used him. Peter, on the other hand, looked heavenward for his forgiveness. He repented unto God and received forgiveness. And so Peter's end was very different. And yet how differently things might have been that Easter morning, the morning of the resurrection, had Judas repented unto God instead of unto men. How different might the scene have been at the tomb that Sunday morning when the angels spoke to the women, go tell Judas and the disciples that he is risen. The betrayal of Jesus by Judas Iscariot stands in the annals of history as one of the most despicable deeds ever recorded. It has left a permanent stench and stink 
to that name such that few ever dare to bestow it upon their own children. And so as we conclude this tragic account of Judas Iscariot, we see a fourfold warning. Number one, a good beginning does not necessarily mean a good finish. The Bible gives us ample warning about those who start the race but do not finish the race. They drop out as the race intensifies. This should be of special concern to Christian parents. It is imperative that each child come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus early in their life. Each child, regardless of its family upbringing, must be born again. Number two, ambition does not necessarily bring success. Ambition can be a good thing if properly directed, but self-centered ambition will be destructive. That's what Judas had. Often selfish ambition is hidden under the guise of teamwork and the betterment of the whole group. But when punch, when uh, push comes to shove, and when the crunch comes, or as they say, when the tire meets the road, selfish ambition often shows itself to be just that, self-centered. And the old adage becomes true, every man for himself. Nevertheless, there are times when every man for himself must come, such as fleeing for safety from a sinking ship or standing before God someday to give an account of his service. And then number three, a sin that has passed is not necessarily a sin that is forgiven. Judas could not undo the damage, and neither can we once we have sinned. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. We can never avoid the consequences of our sins. Either we face the ultimate consequence of our sins ourselves, or we find a suitable substitute to face them for us. And number four, remorse is not repentance. Two men sinned that night, Judas and Peter. Their sins were equally despicable, grievous, and serious. But the important thing is what they did afterwards. Peter took the road to the right, the road which led to the Savior, the road of repentance and forgiveness. But Judas took the road to the left, the road which led away from the Savior, the road which led to a field, a tree, a rope, and a leap into the dark. Judas, after having sinned, never sought forgiveness through true 
repentance. Not all saints of God have betrayed the Lord in the same way as Judas did or denied the Savior in the same way as Peter did. But we have all sinned in one way or another. Therefore, the question we must all ask ourselves is, what are we going to do about it? For we too are standing at the same crossroads, the road to the right or the road to the left. The road to the right is the road to repentance and forgiveness. It leads to the Savior, and the door is always open day and night. But the road to the left is the road that leads away from the Savior, away from his forgiveness. It is the road that Judas took, the road which led to the place of traitors, the place of destruction. Which road have we taken? Is it the one that Judas chose, the left road? Or is it the other road, the one which Peter chose, the right road? There are only two roads in this life. The world teaches that there are many roads and that all roads eventually lead to God, but that is a falsehood. The Bible knows no such thing. It constantly warns us about this. Proverbs fourteen twelve tells us, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In Acts 4.12, the Apostle Peter testifies, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. This is not to be taken lightly. I'm afraid that the churches are weak today because they have lost their vision and their first love. They are trying often to reach the world with a watered-down gospel of peace. Hence, that the cross might bring. And so the cross must always remember Judas. Remember his good start. Remember his good company. Remember his good teachings, and most of all, remember his final end. He was never saved. God is still in the business of saving souls from sin. He still feels the same way about sin today as he did when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Acts 17, verses 30 to 31, tells us that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And the Prince of Peace is still calling to men today, to repent and to turn to him, to receive his forgiveness and the sacrifice which he made on Calvary on their behalf. And when they will have
peace. It will only be because they have trusted in Christ and his work. Then, then they will have true peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. Won't you receive him today if you haven't done so already? For he is still calling to all sinners. Come, come all ye that labor and are heaven heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for the word of God that we have in our hands today. We thank thee, Lord, that thou has divinely inspired every word of it and has divinely preserved every word of it for us. And as we read this most tragic story about Judas Iscariot and his final demise, we pray, O oh Lord, that we might be ever so careful as we walk in this dangerous world. As the Apostle Paul encourages us to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith. Father, we have so many of our loved ones and our families and our neighborhoods our colleagues at work that are still lost and dying, that seem to have no desire for the things of God. Give us thy grace and thy wisdom to somehow be able to reach them with the gospel of Christ. But if that be not possible, Lord, give us an earnest desire to fervently pray for their souls so that God might use someone to reach them while there is still yet time. Again, Father, we thank thee for this morning's service and for the fellowship that we have enjoyed this morning with one another and with our Savior. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together next Lord's Day. For we ask it always in his name and for his glory. Amen.